And Father, we start this day together praising you, worshiping you, knowing that you are the God of the God of this church, the God of this world. And Lord, in our world, we need you. We we have all had things this week that we come into with this day and things that we face this coming week that we that we know that we need you for hurts and burdens and difficult conversations. God, we look at our world and we look at the ongoing hurt and devastation caused by the pandemic. We look at the economic fragility. We look at the racial injustice that we continue to experience. We look at political division maybe within friend groups and families. God, we need you. Even in our world with fires and hurricanes and so many things going on, we need you. And so we ask that even today would be a part of you shaping our hearts into a people that are connected to you, connected to each other, and then to this world bringing your light and good news to this world. Caring about what you care about, caring about each other, caring about this world. So God, would you use today as a part of our ongoing formation towards that end? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are in the book of Proverbs, and we've been going through looking at the various principles for wisdom that Proverbs gives to us, the way that it speaks into our lives to shape us into what does it mean to live practically with wisdom in all the different things, in all the different areas, and all the different relationships. And we're talking about marriage and love and dating today. Next week, we're going to be talking about work and look forward to that as well. And when you think about uh, marriage and dating and all those things. We, we all want, we all want love. All of us want to experience love, to experience intimacy, to experience passion, to experience a loving relationship that is committed where there is faithfulness. We sing songs about this. We watch movies about this. We sing about this desire, this longing for love, to have all of the things that you might envision or want love to be We want that, but there is so much broken when it comes to love. There's so much broken when it comes to our relationships. There is so much that is broken. You may be single, and you may want to raise your hand and see who else is single. You, no, I'm just kidding. You, you, you might want to do that, but I'm not telling you have to. You, you may be single, and, and you may want to be married. You may want that intimate relationship there and, and not be finding it. Or maybe you are experiencing loneliness, or maybe you are experiencing just the discouragement as you are trying to date and, and do these things and just find it discouraging as you look around and say, man, there's not a lot of great options or I'm not, uh, it's, or everyone's kind of looking for this and I'm not this, I'm that. There's a lot of discouragement that can be happening or a lot of confusion. I know I've talked to several of you that just feel confusion around how do I do this and what's the way to do this and we need wisdom. If you're single in the dating game, you need wisdom. And maybe you're married, 
and you're maybe you're just recently married or you maybe you're engaged and about ready to get married and you're feeling excited and you're feeling ready to go and you're feeling ready maybe if your wedding's coming up you're feeling ready to spend a lot of money and and fight about napkins and and you're you're like feeling excited about what's what you just have started or what's next in front of you or maybe you're married and it's hard maybe you're married and and your marriage isn't everything you thought it was going to be Maybe it's more marked by hurt and conflict and communication problems, or, or maybe you're just kind of married and feel an apathy. It's not what you thought it was going to be, and it just is kind of like, yeah, we have it. It's here. It's present, but it's not, I don't know if anyone would write songs about it. Maybe some country song, but maybe not much more than that. <laughs> We need help. We need wisdom when it comes to love and marriage and relationships. We need God's wisdom to speak into it, and God does speak into it. Proverbs actually says that that longing for love and intimacy and passion and faithfulness, that longing that many of us have, whether you're single or married, that longing, Proverbs says, marriage is the context where you can experience that, but in order to have that, we have to have God's wisdom and God's picture of what wisdom is. And let me just say this. So if you're married, this will speak in many ways directly to you. If you're single, you may be trying to move towards marriage. And so this will speak to you. Or you might be single and and say, I never want to get married and I don't want to have anything to do with marriage. And it's just kind of furthest thing from your mind. And that's fine. But you are in a community of people, if you're part of this church, where many of them are married. And so it's important for us, whether you might not be a parent, it's important to hear what God says about parenting. You might not be married or care at all about that, but it's important to hear what God says about all sorts of things because we are a community of people and to be good friends and to be in each other's lives, we need to know what God speaks to all the different things and all the different areas of life. So what is marriage? Let's start with that and answer with what Proverbs gives to us in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. And it says, we're going to hear what marriage is kind of on the negative side, but you will still hear what it is. And the rest of Proverbs assumes that context. It says this, talking about wisdom, it will rescue you from a a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of, of her God. That's the key verse. Forgets the covenant of her God. When Proverbs says, here's what marriage is, it says that marriage is a covenant. That marriage is not just about two lovers that are kind of uh, putting their love on the, in the ultimate culmination or the ultimate display, the ultimate kind of party and, and uh, commemorating to th- their feelings have kind of reached the apex of love and saying that's what marriage is. Two people that love each other that say our love has kind of reached this point now where we want to be in a union. Marriage is more than that. Proverbs says that marriage is actually a covenant with God. When it's speaking about adultery, it says that a woman has neglected or forgotten the covenant with God. Now that is so important. That's a radically different view of how our world often, and maybe here today, how we often think about what marriage is. We normally think about marriage as two people's love that is coming together. Two people that love each other very much and then decide to be together. But Proverbs is saying marriage is so much more than that. Marriage is a covenant with God. Marriage is not just 
two people. Marriage is a covenant with him. It means God is involved in it. It means the promises that we make are promises not just to each other, but promises to God. It means that the way that we define it cannot just be defined by two people working out how they want it to go, but to be defined by God. It means that it belongs to God, not just to us. Marriage is a covenant with God. It means it belongs to him. It means he defines it. It means we make promises to him, not just to the other person. In a normal wedding, two people stand there and make promises to each other. But really, those vows and those promises are also made to God. Marriage is a covenant to God and to the other person, which means it's not just a statement of how you are feeling, particularly in a wedding, saying, I love you so much. It is a promise of an ongoing faithfulness, a promise of an ongoing relationship that is secure and safe. And with a covenant, here's what that means. It means there's an expectation of difficulty. You wouldn't need a covenant or a promise if there wasn't actually an expectation that things inside and things outside might be difficult and challenging. You don't promise something if you just say, this is going to happen anyway. I never promise that I'm going to eat my breakfast. I just eat it. A promise, a vow, covenants are made when we are saying, there might be something that pushes me away from this. There might be something that gets me off track of this. So Proverbs says, if you want, if you want love, if you want, if you want the context where God provides the kind of intimate, faithful, passionate love that you desire, marriage is the place that that is found. But to begin with, the foundation has to be that marriage is a covenant with God first and with the other person. That's what marriage is. Now, if it's a covenant, if that's what marriage is, then what is the picture of that covenant? What does that look like? If marriage is a covenant, then, then what is Proverbs saying? Here is how you enter into and experience all that you long for to experience in love. And, I, and I'll, I'll give various applications along the way to those of you that are married and to those of you that are single, interested in dating or dating. I'll give kind of various applications, but I want you to think about, so what does this mean for me if you're married? And if you're single and moving towards dating or dating, think about what does that mean for me if that's what Proverbs is saying a picture of the covenant is. So here's five things Proverbs gives to us about what that picture looks like. The first, kind of already mentioned here, but we'll, we'll hit it again. The first is that it means it is faithful. And we'll call that the fight of the covenant. We'll call that the fight of the covenant. Because Proverbs speaks about adultery often. It says in chapter 6, 23 to 29, for a command, or God's wisdom, his instructions, all these things, the fear of the Lord that we talked about before, the knowledge of God. It says, for a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. And corrective discipline is the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a wayward woman. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. It's always the eyelashes, guys. 
Gets you every time. <laughs> For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Now, Proverbs speaks about adultery actually a lot. But the idea is that if marriage is a covenant, faithfulness is the fight of the covenant. Faithfulness is the fight of the covenant. The wedding only begins, the wedding only begins a moment of faithfulness. After that, it is a fight. Faithfulness should not be assumed. Proverbs does not assume faithfulness. Just this last week, there is someone I know who was, and obviously I'm not going to give names and that, and it's not in our church, but someone I know who had an adulterous relationship. Faithfulness is the fight of the covenant. It is fighting. It is saying, I'm making vows to you and promises to you, but I will continue to do that. I will fight for that. Here's what that means. Anything, anything that is not in a marriage relationship should be fought against for sexual purity. Proverbs, the, the verse that we read about, talks about the actual physical act of adultery, but it also speaks about what Jesus speaks about later, saying, do not lust in your heart. Do not be captivated by her eyelashes or her beauty. Do not go after. Do not allow yourself any act, any thought, any emotional pursuit of something that is not a faithful marriage covenant. It must be fought for viciously. It must be fought for. Faithfulness is never something to be assumed. It must be fought for. And the way Proverbs says to fight is a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. When you understand, I'm quoting now from, fifth, uh, from verse uh, 5 through 16, Proverbs 2, when you understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, that gives you the wisdom and the understanding to keep yourself from lust, adultery. And so here, here's what I'm saying here. Whether you are married or single, faithfulness must be fought for. That doesn't begin when you are married. Sometimes people think, once I'm married, then I'll be a faithful person. But the habits that you develop now, with pornography, with the movies that you watch, with the thoughts and the emotions that you cultivate, those don't go away on a wedding day. And your wedding is only the beginning. That's when a covenant begins after it is a fight. So, I guess here's the question for everybody. Are you fighting for faithfulness? Would you say that there's a fight in you? Or is it something you just kind of assume is going to happen, both with you and the other person? There should be a fight for faithfulness. If not, if this has not been an area where you have been fighting, probably the first step is confession to God and then if you're married to your spouse. What is the picture of marriage, the covenant that Proverbs gives? That's the first one, faithful. The second 
is friendship. If faithfulness is the fight of the covenant, friendship is the context of the covenant. And this goes back to the verse that we read at the beginning with covenant. In verse, in chapter 2, 17, it talks about the woman, says, who abandons the companion of her youth. The companion of her youth is talking about her spouse. And that word companion is a Hebrew word that means the strongest of friendship. And we talked about friendship last week. And it is speaking of marriage saying, you know what, you know what the context is? You know what this marriage relationship is? It's actually a friendship. A friendship with some benefits, as people say, but it's a friendship. That is what it essentially is. It's saying this is the companion, the deepest, closest friend. This is the context of the covenant. Now, this is so important, especially written at the time that it was written. We, when we think about kind of ancient marriage and things like that, you might think of property and marriage was just kind of a, a property exchange or it was an economic proposition, or you might think of marriage kind of being about childbearing and, and all of those things. That was a lot of kind of how the ancient world viewed marriage. And Proverbs, in a lot of ways, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it's unique in its explanation of saying marriage is a deep companionship. See, marriage is a friendship. It's not just erotic or romantic or children or business. It's a deep friendship, which means all the things that Proverbs speaks about friendship should connect, therefore, to your marriage. Things like being available and present and speaking to one another and ways to build up and help and, and all of the things that we looked at, that we use words and there's time that is spent Here's what that means for those of you that are married. And actually, um, I've read a lot in, in kind of the marriage counseling world and marriage books. And, and the number one, the number one thing that leads to a healthy marriage based on, and I'm not going to give you all the research and stats, but you can look it up. But the number one thing that leads to a healthy marriage is friendship, a deep friendship, which is what Proverbs is actually saying. And so, for those of you that are married, are you friends? Are you cultivating a deep friendship? Is that what you think of when you think about the context of a covenant? Or is it just, I will be faithful to you? Is it just kind of a business partnership? Roommates living side by side, doing things, both bringing in an income, maybe. Both kind of taking care of the kids. Both, But, it, but it's just kind of a business partnership. Or do you say, no, this is a deep companion of mine. For those of you that are single, I would tell you this, don't just look for somebody that's hot. Don't just look for somebody that has shared interests or your hobbies. You want to look for someone that you say, when I'm, when I'm 65, I want to feed ducks with this person. That's what you want to look for. You want to look for somebody that you say, I, it's the thing about them that is attracting me is I want to be friends with them for the rest of my life. I want to, we, we just watched uh, Little Women, and I don't know if you've read the novel, or, um, but the movie just came out recently, won a bunch of Oscars, whatever, okay? And it was stupid. And here, and sorry to offend you if you're a, like, I know it's like a classic. It was actually really good, okay? So, but, but, but the part that I didn't like, the part that I didn't like was that there's this guy, and I'm, you know, not to give it away, but it's been out for decades. So there's a, there's a guy that is, 
the, and the girl, Joe, and the guy, uh, Lori or Teddy, she calls him, and they're best friends for most of their life. And she's like, oh, I don't want you. I want this like hot Italian dude. I guarantee the sequel, they got divorced. That's not, that's not what you build a strong marriage on. A strong marriage is someone that you are friends with. And you say, that is my best friend. And I want to be friends with them for life. Don't email me about little women, okay? Whatever. It's, it's fine, okay? <laughs> Goodness. I know. It's so cute. Okay, so <clears throat> you want to build a friendship. That's what you're after. When you're old and saggy and you can't see and you can't do much and you can't do all your shared hobbies and your shared things, you want someone that you still just like to be with as your friend. Okay. Done with that. Number three. Number three, the picture of marriage that it gives to us as a covenant is that it is joyful. We can call this the feelings of the covenant. That it's not just friendship. I said joyful. We could say joyful or passionate. It's not just friendship. It's not just a fight to be faithful. Marriage is also supposed to be this loving, joyful, passionate thing. And it's easy for you married people. It's easy to slip away from that. It's easy to slip away from joy and love and passion. Everybody that is married or has been for a while knows that. It's easy to forget that element of a marriage. That's why people talk about needing to rekindle the romance and light the fire again and let's take the trip to Bermuda or wherever, you know, and, and light the fires again and whatever. Because it's easy for that to shrivel. That often is what kicks off a relationship and it's easy then for that to die out. Proverbs says this, in chapter 5, 18, 19, says, and this word means what you think it means, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Some of you guys are thinking, why has Jeremiah 29 been my life verse? This needs to be my life verse. <laughs> I know the purposes and plans I have for you. No, 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 no. I have a new life verse. <laughs> Reading this, <laughs> it can feel even kind of like, are, are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to say, let her breasts always satisfy you, uh, uh, be lost in her love forever? That sounds like that shouldn't be in the Bible. I actually, for those of you on our email, I sent out a disclaimer email newsletter saying, PG-13, you know, like, parents beware. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a shameful thing. It shouldn't be a bashful thing. It's actually part of the picture of a marriage covenant that God is giving. He is saying, I want, listen, the command, it, this is a command and an invitation. And I'll explain that, but just listen to the wording again. Let her breasts always satisfy you. If it's saying let, that is a command. It's saying, let this happen. There's plenty of other places that the Bible says things like, let your speech be honoring to God, or let thanksgiving come from your mouth, or let, and that means this is a command. 
and then be lost in her love forever. Be is, again, that's telling us to do something. It's a command. So, God is both commanding, for those of you that are married, commanding you to say, this is an important part of your relationship. He's commanding you to say, don't just walk into a business partnership or a child-rearing arrangement. I, w- I am commanding you, be lost in love forever. The word for lost there is a word that means intoxication. And it's not, he's not saying go get drunk, but he's saying that this, that is actually what I am commanding you to do. I am commanding you to experience passion in your relationship. And I say it's an invitation because what God is saying is, this is what I want for you to have. I don't want you just to have dutiful faithfulness. I don't want you just to be friends. I want to invite you into joy and passion. That's God's idea. It's God's invention. It's what God is actually calling people into. So, for those of you that are married, does that describe your marriage? Would you say, I'm lost in love? Or would you just say, I'm lost, I don't know? (laughs) Would you say it's satisfaction and a blessed fountain and taking pleasure Would you say that that describes your marriage? If not, what changes need to be made to move towards that? Now look, don't just grab onto this one piece, especially, let me just say this to you husbands. This is not a verse that you can actually take and use to beat up your wife with. If this isn't the case, it means that something is broken deeper in the context of the covenant that needs to be addressed. If you're dating or maybe now you want to be dating, if you're dating and moving towards that, there's actually a paradox here that if that's what you build a relationship on, it doesn't last. And I talked about that before with friendship. The relationships that just start off hot and heavy and it's all about passion and, oh man, can't keep my hands off. That is not a foundation for relationship. That's why this is speaking about in a marriage context. Fourth, We'll move on from that. Now we're back to G-rated, okay? So fourth, the picture of the marriage. We've got the fight of the covenant, that's faithfulness. The context of the covenant, that's friendship. The feelings of the covenant, joyful, passion. And who are the people of the covenant? Proverbs gives us a picture to focus on character. The question here is, who am I going to covenant myself to? Who am I going to promise myself to? What is, maybe especially for those of you dating, what is the ideal that you think about? What's the person that you think about? If you were to describe, here's who I'm looking for. Not for those of you that are married. If you're married, you just look at your spouse right now and say, it's you, babe. That's, that's it. But if you're, if you're thinking about in your head, here's what I'm looking for. What is it? I did research on this several years back and I didn't revisit it, but I remember that the research said that character was often towards the bottom of the list. Guys are looking for someone beautiful and girls were looking for someone funny. Those were like the top two things. Now, I'm I'm just telling you statistics. I'm not saying that that's how you are here. 
But I do know that character often is at the bottom of the list. If there's someone that you're dating and I were to ask you, or there's someone you're interested in and I were to ask you, what is it about them? What is it about them that you're interested in? What is it about them that is attractive to you? How often is what you say their character? It's, oh man, they're so godly. The way that they serve people, the way they love their family, the way they care about the issues in the world and, and the passion they have for God's mission and the way that they treat their friends. They're, man, they are such a good friend. And man, I see them in their way that they're praying and reading the Bible. And, and how often is that what you're looking for? What draws you? What attracts you? If I were even just to say, tell me about the person, are those the things that come top of mind? Here's what Proverbs says, and it speaks um, from a guy's perspective on this part, but I think it goes both ways. 12.4 says, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. 19.14, a house and wealth are inherited from fathers, saying those are good things. If you get a house, man, if your parents give you a house, that's cool. If, you're, if, you, if, you get, if you get wealth from your parents, wow, that's pretty cool. But then it elevates it and goes up and says, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Noble character, prudent, 31.10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will not lack anything good. To find a person of character is better than a house. It's better than the wealth inherited from fathers and grandfathers. And it's better than jewels. It, it leads one to actually say, who can find that? Saying, it's from God. Character. A visible love of Jesus. A visible obedience. A visible love in community and mission. Now, here, here's what that means. Let me give you some applications. For those of you that are married, do you feel like this is what you have? Particularly you husbands, because those verses speak to men, but for wives and husbands. If this is what you have, and Proverbs is saying, that's amazing and rare, what Proverbs does, and what I would encourage you to is to take time this week and praise the character that you see. If a noble wife who can find, if it's better than jewels, then it should be an ongoing regular habit to look for, to find, and to praise. That's what Proverbs 31, if you've ever read that, the classic Proverbs 31 woman that outlines this, this woman, and it is praising her saying, if, that's, if there's areas, and listen, if, you are, if you're married and you can't point out areas that are worthy of praise in your spouse, I would say there's probably something wrong with you. And I don't say that to be like a mean, haha, gotcha, but there's probably some bitterness in you, some complaining in you, some fault-finding, judgmental bent in you that needs to get corrected. So, for those of you that are married, I would encourage you, especially this week, to praise the character that you see, knowing this is a gift from God.
It also means, for those of you dating, single, look for this. For some reason, I don't know, it's been a long, 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 long time since I've ever been on an online dating site. I don't know if there's like a character box that you check. I don't know if you can swipe right for character. I don't know if you can say, okay, what's the character on... on the, I, don't, I don't think that that really exists. And yet, oftentimes, characters assumed. It's assumed that, well, if they look good, they probably must love Jesus. Or if they look... If, they, if we can have a good time together and we like the same things, but characters shouldn't be assumed. That should be something that you are looking for, seeing if it's there, praying for, And then finally, just not for what you should look for, but for yourself around character. It's popular in dating wisdom to say something like, be the person that you want to date. And there's actually a lot of good in that. And so I would encourage you, for those of you that are dating and looking to date, that you should be thinking not just about, okay, yeah, I want to find someone of character, but that what you should be doing is working on your Bible more than your body. That you should be thinking about, man, what does it mean to love God and love his people and serve and be faithful? I mean, all of those things are actually what goes into then building a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship. Your relationship between you and God and the way you love his church and the way you love those that don't know him are all the things that go into building a strong family, building a strong marriage. Fifth, the picture that marriage, the Proverbs gives us of the covenant is that it is to be gracious. We can call this the atmosphere or the culture of the covenant. What's it like? For those of you that are married, and if you're dating too, you can think about this in your dating relationship, but what is it like? What's the culture of your marriage? What's the culture of your home? What is it like? What's the culture? What's the DNA? Proverbs is saying that the culture should not be judgment, but that the culture should be thankful. It should be one where people are building each other up. It should be one of praise. It should be one of grace, where there's errors and there's mistakes and there's sins, but there's grace. The same way we talked about in friendship that the thing that holds friendships together is not just that every friend is perfect and loves each other the best way, but that they're actually held together by grace. Proverbs speaks the same thing of marriage, saying the culture shouldn't be one of fault-finding, of looking at heirs and correcting each other all the time and, and nagging, but it should be one of grace, where the underlying framework or culture of the relationship is one of graciousness and forgiveness and overlooking offenses and giving each other the benefit of the doubt and all of that. Here is what it says in 2119, better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. And then in 31, 28, 29, speaking about this woman, it says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her, and he says this, many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. That's the culture that it gives to us of marriage. One side you see is the negative saying, don't nag. 
And the other side is the, the positive of that, which is the inverse, which is to say to praise and to build up. That's a culture of grace. No marriage. Listen, it's just the same way that on Mother's Day or Father's Day, you write a card and say, you're the best dad in the world. Who says who? Who's done that research? Who's done that poll? But Proverbs is being poetic, saying many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. That's statistically impossible for every woman that is told that to surpass them all. But it's what's coming from that person's heart, which means there's sins, it means there's foolishness, it means there's mistakes, it means there's weaknesses, it means there's personality differences that are overlooked because the culture is grace. The culture is, I am trying to focus on what is amazing and beautiful such that it overwhelms in my heart to a point of praise. And every husband has things that could be nagged, but a culture of grace says, I'm not doing that. So here's the application for this. Here's what this means. Ask each other. If you're married, ask each other, is that the culture of our home? Is our culture more grace or more judgmental? Where are we on that spectrum? And again, those things don't get developed when you get married. Those are the things you're cultivating now in your friendships and at your job and with your parents. Ask yourself, is that the culture? And then build disciplines. Build disciplines into your relationship to encourage the other person. Build disciplines into your relationship to praise the other person. Now, last part is this. That's the picture that Proverbs gives to us of the covenant. Faithful, friendship, joyful, character, gracious. But what if that's not what is experienced? What if there's brokenness? That's the, that's the picture of the covenant, but what if that picture is marred and broken for various reasons? Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you're married and you're not relating well. That picture just <clears throat> brings up pain. Maybe it's because there's singleness and you're lonely and wanting that or feel like, man, I can never find that. I need to settle for something. Yeah, it sounds like me. That's... <laughs> What if it's broken? The good news is this. God doesn't just give us a picture of marriage. God doesn't just give us a picture of marriage. He says that this is how he relates to his church. God says the way I relate to my church is the same way that I've just described here. The Bible says that Jesus is the groom and that the church is his bride. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And later says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, the way that God says, the way that Jesus says that he relates to his church, he says, you are my bride. And so all the picture of covenant that we just looked at in Proverbs, Jesus says, that's how I view you. 
That's how I view you. That's how I relate to you. That's how I interact with you. Which means this, if you, if you want love, which we want love, if you want love and intimacy and passion and faithfulness and all of that stuff, we want covenant. And Jesus is saying, in me, you have that. Listen, the greatest marriage that has ever existed on earth is not close to the way Jesus says he is a husband to his bride. Now that does, that does or should do a lot of things for us. What it should do is if you were single, and I was talking about this this week with someone, if you're single and you want that covenant love, that picture that was just described, if you want that, maybe you had it even at some point and lost it. If you want that, Jesus is saying, you have it in me. You can experience the ultimate covenant in me. You can experience someone that says, I am with you and for you and never leaving you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The context of our relationship is one of promise that never breaks. He says, you can have that. You can have someone that loves you and finds joy in you. You can have someone of the perfect character and who is committed to your perfect character. You can have someone who even as we looked at last week says, I am your friend, constantly available, loving at all times. You can have someone who says the context and the culture of the relationship and the way that he relates with you is one of grace. Not fault finding on all your things, but saying there is grace. See, if you're single and you long for that covenant that has been described, Jesus is saying, in me, you have that. And if you're married and it's not all that you want it to be, it's not all you hoped it would be, it's more marked by hurt and brokenness and pain, you have, you have that covenant also in Jesus. And what that does, if we allow it to, if we invite it to, if we let him speak it into us, what that does is both allow us to then have grace for the other person and be changed as we know how God is to us. When we see his grace to us, we can give grace. When we see his faithfulness to us, we're able to be faithful. All of those things we both experience from him, which allow us to give grace to the other person when they're not doing it and begins to change us to become the kind of person that can do that. So here's your homework this week. If you are married, I want you to talk with your spouse this week. Go over this. Maybe go back and write down those bullet points and, and, and talk about those areas of your relationship. Faithfulness, friendship, joyful, passionate, character, gracious, Talk about those. Say, how are we doing here? In an honest, humble conversation. Talk about where you are and where you need to grow. And if you're single, assess. Is this, is this what I am moving towards? Is that the picture of a relationship that I'm trying to get to? And if, if, if not, or if kind of, what needs to change? What parts need to shift? What values need to be realigned? What people maybe have you even overlooked that you need to give a second look to? Or third, maybe you've, maybe you've given several looks, but 
you need to give a third sober look to. And maybe for everybody, where there's sin, sin in any of those areas, we're called to confess our sin, to bring those things to God, to repent, and to receive grace. All of us, if you're married, all of us have marriage failures. All of us. Thankfully, we have a God that relates to us in a covenant of grace and continually is committed to our growth and character and says, yes, I know, and I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I am covenanted to you. When we take communion, what did Jesus call that? This is the new covenant of my blood. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us to forgive us of our sin, to give us life with him, and to bring us into a covenant where we can enjoy him and be secure and safe in the context of the relationship of the most loving, perfect spouse that there is to us as his church. So as you take communion, I want you to think about these things, confess where needed, thank God where needed. Also, just take some of this time and maybe it's to take a next step. You can go on our next steps page on our website. If you scroll to the bottom of the website, it's there in the footer. And take a next step. Maybe that's to join a community group, to sign up for a class, to investigate resources more deeply, to serve, to give. What's the next step of you being in a covenanted relationship with God and others? So take some time, pray, receive communion.